Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Attitudes of the Kingdom. That's what we'll talk about this morning from the series Snapshots of Jesus and His Kingdom. So get your camera out. It's probably on your phone. Let's be ready to take a snapshot that Matthew gives us here in Matthew chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12 in just a moment. You've heard the name Horatio G. Spafford. He was a successful Chicago lawyer and he was a Christian man. He lost all of his wealth during a financial crisis of 1873. He sent his wife and his four daughters on a trip to France at one point in his life. And while on the ship, their ship was struck by another ship in the ocean. And of the 225 passengers, only 87 survived. His wife and four daughters were on this ship, and Mrs. Spafford was among the survivors, but his four daughters, his children, all died in that horrific disaster at sea. When she reached land after a long time, she was able to telegraph back and said these words, Saved alone, children lost, what shall I do? He set sail immediately and went to where she was at and sailed back to the States. And on his travel back, he wrote uh, really a beautiful stanza of that song, It is well with my soul, which he said, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well with it is well with my soul. How could he say, it is well with my soul after losing everything and after losing his children? How could he say that? Can I suggest that in his heart and in his life, he was living by the beatitudes that we find in these words that Jesus says in Matthew 5. While overlooking the Sea of Galilee, there's a mountain that Jesus is on, and this is called the Sermon on the Mount. These are some of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, chapter 5, 6, and 7, the famous Sermon on the Mount. This mountain is overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's off in the distance. And uh, it's just a, it's a must-have. These are a must-have for every Christian. Now, here's some pictures I'd like to show to you of uh, this location of the general area. The uh, Catholic Church found this location, and it was known to be the location where Jesus gave the, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So they built this uh, octagonal building. It's, it has eight, eight sides to it. The reason is because of the eight sayings that we're about to read here. In this uh, passage. Now let's look at the next picture. This is a picture I took kind of overlooking to the side of that mountainside. It's all foggy over there. That's the Sea of Galilee. Down the mountain is the Sea of Galilee. There are some fields there. So you could just imagine at this point uh, Jesus has some followers already 
who when he sits down to teach and preach, they are all gathered around. And I think there's one more picture here. I thought this was kind of unusual. Uh, notice how there's a quotation from John. In John 7, 37, let anyone who is uh, thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water flow from within him. And, uh, of course, Jesus is the water of life. And then right next to that is that sign that says, don't drink the water. <laughs> I, I took several pictures of that. I love that. It's so, so funny. So that's up in this general area as well, along the Sea of Galilee, uh, on this mountainside where Jesus gave these words that we're about to read. Uh, the, the Beatitudes, you hear that phrase, the Beatitudes, it's, it's a literary genre, and uh, it means statements of blessings or happiness. The term is Marcarius, Marcarius, or the word Beatitudes is a word that's used. And so let's go ahead and look at this passage beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, so there's a lot of people there on that hillside. He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, that means he sat down. He, he's sitting down for this. And, you know, whether a preacher sits or stands, it doesn't matter to me. Because Jesus, he would sit, he would stand at different times in his teaching and preaching ministry as well. Sometimes we get held up and hung up on things we expect, and it's not... Not really the way the Bible says we should expect things. So he was sitting down here, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, the word taught here is the word didasco, didasco, didactic. We get the word didactic, and it means a discourse. It's a message that has a moral to the story, if you would. It's, it's uh, really relevant and it's important to practical everyday life. This word taught means instruction. So moral instruction. He teaches and it's a didactic thing. It's not just like good information to know, it's information to live by. It's transformational type things that he's giving to his disciples. And here's what he says, verse 3. Blessed how do you say that? Blessed or blessed? I don't know. It's like tomato, tomato, I guess. How do you want, how do you want me to say it today? I don't know. I have no preference. Blessed or, or blessed. Blessed sounds kind of poetic, I guess. So blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is, that's a beautiful word, is the kingdom of heaven. The word blessed is where that word beatitudes come from. It means happy. Happy, uh, cheerfulness is connected to this. Marcarios, blessed or blessedness. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Blessed, then, verse 4, are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in hearts, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is, there's that word again, is the kingdom of heaven. There's our phrase again, kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now there are eight blessed here but actually there's nine the last two, eight and nine, are connected to the same marchism, and that would be blessing for persecution. The first seven are all internal. The first seven blessings that we read are internal in nature, and they're attitudes that you have not depend on anything that's outside, not circumstance-based, like, oh, I'm having a hard time, or this is difficult, or can you believe that happened? It's nothing to do with that. They are attitudes that you can have not attached to anything outside of your own person or any event. The last blessed in verses 8, 9, and 10 is, is affected by things that happen to you. And it comes in the form of persecution. Now, as we go through, we'll unpack each of these blessings here in this passage that uh, Jesus teaches. And these are things that we are to live by, these uh, makarisms that are blessings that we can have. The Beatitudes is what is normally used to describe this passage, the first section of this teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So eight, Dominical Logia. That means uh, basically the words of Jesus is how people have described this from Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Beatitude properly designates a whole body of sayings with similar literary form. This is all one paragraph. One through 12 is one whole paragraph. And it has rhyme, it has a poetic sound to it, and each of these eight, and really the eighth one is verse 8, 9, and 10, it, it, it's very poetic, and it's a literary form. Egyptians use that, the Hebrews use that, and the Greeks use this type of literary device whenever they would make some kind of a poetic type thing. So it's very poetic, it's very beautiful, uh, one of uh, Christianity's, perhaps your favorite passages in all the Bible. I sure do love it as well. Now think about blessed for just a moment. This idea of happy. Happy are ye, if all these other uh, things here. So it's, it's um, to be blessed, think about the world for just a moment. Be happy. Don't you hear that? Oh, we just want, we, we want to be happy. I hear parents, we just want our kids to be happy. We just want to be happy. We want to be happy. The world says, be happy. Do what you want to do. Find happiness and satisfaction wherever you want to find it. Whatever floats your boat, to use that expression, whatever you want to do, just, just do it. It's all right. But the world's happiness does not last that long. The world's happiness is not eternal and have, having of eternal value. And the world's idea of happiness does not honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, God tells us how we can be happy, how we can be blessed, how we can know and see God for ourselves in our lives. So seven of these eights are inner qualities, character, or we could use the word attitudes that God gives to us. The eighth is an outside because of persecution. And that persecution comes about for righteousness and for the sake 
of Jesus himself. Now think about the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3, blessed are ye, and then he says the kingdom of heaven. Verse 8, the idea of the kingdom of heaven comes up once again. So here's a snapshot of this kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is already happening. I mean, God's already in heaven. There's people already there in heaven. It's happening in heaven. (laughs) As Christians, we can participate in being blessed by God on this earth, but we're also looking forward to the time when we enjoy being in God's presence in eternity with him. So the first blessed is now. Verses 3 through 10 are blessings that are happening now, but notice in verse 12, because that's later. That's later. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. We're not there yet. We're on our way. We'll be in heaven short, shortly enough when the rapture happens or if we uh, go in death. So there's a, a now and a later component to this Sermon on the Mount Beatitude section as well. So to be blessed really is a frame of mind. And can I suggest to you that God blesses these attitudes? These are some attitudes that God will bless, whether in this earth in some different ways or for sure in eternity, you will know this blessedness of the Lord. So here's the first blessing or the first attitude that God blesses. The beatitude, number one, is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. In verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we think about poverty sometimes, and we think about those who are poor many times are rich in faith. And that is something that is echoed throughout Scripture. James 2, verse 5, hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. And other times we think about those who are wealthy, but maybe they're really wicked, but it seems like they're prospered and they're really, it seems like they're the ones who are blessed. Psalm 73 verse 12, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. It's not a sin to have money, but it's a sin to love that money. But that's not what he's talking about. Sometimes we don't read the whole phrase. Notice it doesn't say poor in money or poor in material things. He says poor in spirit. There's a big difference. There's a spiritual component that he's speaking of internally that a person can have. Poor in spirit is an attitude. It's not a circumstance. Poor in spirit is the spirit of a person, not their bank account. It's not poor in money. The word poor is the word pitosis or tosis is the word here, and it means to crouch or to cower. Okay, this is what it is, crouch or to cower. Maybe even you crouch all the way down in the cower like this. All right? This is what it is, tosis. But it's poor in spirit, in spirit. What's your spirit like when it comes to God? Because this, this really would be someone who is humble. Not someone who's full of pride. Not someone who's full of arrogance. But someone who is humble. He's poor in spirit. The poor in spirit person 
is not a person bragging about themselves and boasting about themselves and, and constantly talking about themselves. Uh, the, the word tosis has to do with beggarly or poor, and sometimes even in our Bible it's used as the word worthless. So here's a person who's not a boaster, he's not a bragger, not arrogant, he's poor in spirit, which indicates humility. Humility. And there's this phrase here, it's found throughout the Old Testament. You can find it in the Psalms, you can find the idea of this in Isaiah as well. Several of these blessedness that Jesus is talking about, these Beatitudes, are actually found in the Psalms. You could do your own study, do a little cross-reference. We won't read all of them today. There's a lot of them, though. It's, it's rather extensive. Here's Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me up to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all that mourn. Sounds a lot like the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. You see, this attitude of poor in spirit results in participation in God's heavenly kingdom because theirs is, not hope to be or maybe or possibly or maybe it'll work out, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So our human pride, our human arrogance, whenever we come to faith in Christ, don't we set that aside and we humbly cower with humility before God? Listen, no proud person ever trusted Christ. It's impossible. You can't say, look how good I am. God's lucky enough to have me. I'll go ahead and believe. That doesn't work. That's not genuine. That's not real. A humble person is the person who accepts Jesus Christ by faith because he did what I can't do on the cross to forgive my sin and save my soul and I don't have to pay for my sin in hell. So blessed are the poor in spirit who are humble enough to accept the Lord and him himself for their salvation. So the Christian becomes a member then of the heavenly kingdom, a citizen of heaven. Salvation comes through humility and reliance on God alone for salvation. And people are talking a lot about pride today and pride, pride, pride. No proud person. Unless they humble themselves before God will choose Jesus for themselves. They could become a Christian. It requires humility. I'm going to trust Christ and him alone, not my goodness, not whatever I have to give to him. This is why Isaiah is quoted by Jesus. The gospel is good news. And we come to God in humility. Our spirit is broken. We're poor in spirit to receive Christ as our Savior. Our hearts are wanting, yearning, wanting to know God have our sins forgiven, and know we have that home with him in heaven. The second attitude that God blesses is mourning. Mourning in verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Immediately, and our human tendency is to connect that to a loss of a loved one, or I'm going through a really difficult time, and so I'm mourning now, and so uh, I need some comfort from God. There are other passages that teach that. This is not one of them. 
This is not talking about, okay, I just lost a loved one. Some of you lost loved ones recently. God can give you the comfort that you need in those moments, but this verse is actually talking about something else. It's not talking about the loss of life, or I'm going through a hard time, and I'm mourning because of of different things that's happening to me. This is something internal. The first seven are internal. What he's talking about here is, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They're mourning about something that's on the inside, and they recognize it's on the inside, and they want to do something about what's on the inside, and what's on the inside is sin. And they're mourning over their sin. They're mourning over my, my repulsiveness before God, and how could he forgive me, and how could he save me, and, and God, here's this sin, and I'm not worthy of salvation. And they're mourning and grieving over their sin. That's what he's talking about. It's an eternal thing. It's nothing to do with something that happens on your outside, on the outside of you. It's a person mourning because they're considering their own depravity, their own sin. I am the one worthy of death. It's most like they're mourning their own death in a spiritual sense. I deserve to die because of my sin, and they're mourning over their sin. When was the last time you recognized the weight of your sin and it brought you to tears and you confessed that, I can't believe I said that, did that, thought that, went there, participated, or uh, the, the kinds that we just omit, you know, I, I can't believe I didn't help, I wasn't there, I didn't show up, I, I wasn't doing what I needed to do. There's both sides of that, omission and commission sins. When was the last time you examined your own heart and were broken hearted over your sin? That's the mourning that Jesus is speaking about, the condition of our human heart. The word comforted, I love that word comforted. It's parakaleo, and the word paraclete comes from that, which is the word Holy Spirit. To come alongside, you hear about parachurch ministries, it means come alongside. A ministry, it comes alongside of a church, or a church comes alongside of parachurch ministry. Here's what happens. When you mourn over your sin, here's the blessing. God will give you comfort. You really are forgiven. I still am accepted by God. If you have constant guilt over sin, if you have repeatedly, you know, these cycles that we get into of this sin and going back to that sin, and I, uh, I forsake that sin, but I'm right back at it, you know, keep going back and stuff like this, and, and you have this consistent guilt conscience. Listen, give that sin to God and let the Holy Spirit give you some comfort. Don't keep living in guilt. Mourn over your sin. Confess it to God. Repent, which means turn around from it, and let him give you some comfort. There's no reason for a Christian who's blood-bought, born again, believer in the gospel, the the resurrection of Christ, he paid for all our sin on the cross. There's no reason to continually live, oh, my sin, my problem. Give it to the Lord. Don't keep your head down low. Get your head up. And let him comfort you. Here's what a lot of us do, is we don't let God's Holy Spirit comfort us because we'd rather not mourn over our sin. We keep holding on to it. He's convicting us about it. We're like, well, it's not that bad. I'm not as bad as the next guy. And we should be turning around from it and actually finding comfort instead of the vicious cycle that a lot of times 
we find ourselves in. Here's what Jesus said, the comforter who is, or which is, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He will answer your questions. He will give you the guidance. He will illuminate the scriptures for you. He will give you comfort and encouragement at just the right time. And when you mourn, he will give you a special comfort because you're mourning over your sinfulness. Don't live in continual guilt. Number three, there's meekness. Notice in verse five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the word meek means strength under control. Here are some people who are going to be constructive instead of destructive. They're going to build up instead of tear down. And God's going to do something in their life because of their meekness. Like a strength under control. Meekness is like a train on the train tracks. It's strength under control. It's like a car in the line. You drive down the road, get out of the line, you know, you can have some problems like that. Strength under control is keeping it between the lines, keeping it in the lane. These people use God's grace to be constructive, not destructive. Now, we hear the word meek, and sometimes we think, oh, that's, that sounds kind of weak. It's not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. The meek people will inherit the earth. It's the opposite. It's strength under control. Southern horse breeders, from what I understand, they used to have a phrase, the meekest horse wins the race. The meekest horse wins the race. What they mean by that is the meekest horse is the one where they're able to train it. It's, it responds to its training better than the other horses. And they, they uh, harness all of that, that training together in that horse. And the meekest horse wins the race. It does what it's supposed to do on race day. That's the expression. The horse, great strength and power under control. And so blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The word earth is the word land, the land or the earth. Think about uh, meek people for just a moment. Are there people who are, uh, have great privilege and they also have great responsibility? Great privilege and great responsibility. A lot of times, notice this, that those who have great privilege and great responsibility are also meek in spirit. They're meek in their spirit. They have strength, ability, but it's constrained. It's under control. It's like there's a governor on their life. And we need the governor of the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit working in us. These meek are the ones who inherit the earth. Their attitudes of leadership and responsibility are rewards that God gives with privilege and responsibility. Think about Luke twelve forty-eight: For unto whomsoever much is given, of him much shall be required. Same idea of what Jesus is speaking of. So the meek inherit the earth. They have some privilege and responsibility that comes along with that strength and the control. Number four, there's those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. And notice what it's for. They're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Righteousness. And God satisfies their hunger and thirst with righteousness. God gives them righteousness. Righteousness is understood as the righteousness of God. Justice is sometimes connected to righteousness as well. And it's the dikaiosune, righteousness, uh, just justice that God meets out. What is it that justifies us before God? 
Is it your righteousness? Is it, well, I'm just really good. I, I have great ability or I've been really spiritual. I followed God for a long time, so I must be a righteous individual. It's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. Notice how blessed are they that are hungry and thirsting after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They're not getting full of themselves. It's the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is filling this need in their life for righteousness. They're craving to be right, to do right, to live right. And God can answer that in their life. Now, when we're justified, our sins forgiven, we're allowed into heaven, it's not our righteousness. Self-righteousness won't get you far in life. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's him living his life out through us. It's us allowing him to live in and through our lives. Self-righteousness is not good. A Christian is declared righteous once you believe the gospel. At that moment, God sees you as righteous. Declared righteous, it's the righteousness of Christ. Now, James talks about this righteousness a lot in the book of James. How do we become justified before other people? We live righteously before them. So God justifies us, and he declares us righteous, and by God's grace, we can follow and live out his righteousness, and then others will see that righteousness in our life and see us growing. Uh, Sanctification sometimes would be used for that term as well. The fifth attitude God blesses is merciful. In verse 7, blessed are they uh, who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Those who demonstrate mercy are given mercy in return. Have you noticed that sometimes the most merciful people are the ones who receive the most mercy back towards them? And when they fall, people are so merciful back to them. Have you also noticed the other side of this, that those who are hard and condemning and harsh, critical, that type of a spirit, that whenever they fall, people cast rocks at them and don't care. Have you noticed that? It's because of this truth that Jesus expresses here. Blessed are they that are merciful because they will receive mercy. But where do we find our mercy from? It's from the Lord. And God and Jesus said that several times throughout the scripture as well. I'll give mercy to those who give mercy. And those who are seeking mercy, they can have that mercy. Years after the death of President Calvin Coolidge, this story came to light. Somebody's reading some of his diaries and things. And Coolidge woke up one morning in a hotel room. He was president already. And a cat burglar was, was in his room rifling through some of his, his possessions and his stuff, going through his pockets. Coolidge spoke up and asked the burglar not to take his watch because it had an engravement on it. He said, yeah, that's a special watch to me. It's sentimental. Please don't take my watch. And so he starts talking to this guy. He finds out this camp burglar is a college student who had no money uh, for anything, and he didn't have money to pay his hotel bill. He didn't have money to travel back to campus or to pay for his school year. And Coolidge just kept talking to him there in the middle of that night, and uh, he, he talked him out of robbing from him. In fact, he, he pulled out his wallet, and he gave him some money. I think it was, uh, it was $32 out of his wallet, and he talked the guy in to paying him back one day. He's like, hey, you tell you what, just take this as a loan, and when you can one day, just pay me back. And in fact, he said, uh, you know, the Secret Service, here's where they're at. I'll tell you where they're at. Why don't you just have a good night? You go out this way, and, and when you can, just pay me back one day. The guy paid him back. He, he escaped, no charges, no worries. He was very merciful. Did you know that, that Calvin Coolidge, he was the first president to go on for 10 years? 
Can you believe that? That's a long time. We've had some that go a little bit longer than, than eight that we're familiar with today. But he was president for 10 years. He was known as Cool Cow. <laughs> Just a, a merciful, easygoing fella. And people were merciful back to him. The next attitude is uh, pure in heart, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word pure means clean. If you write the word clean there to help you understand this, uh, cathartes, uh, cleanness or purity, purity. Dirty hands, dirty hearts, and dirty heads do not see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you're having a hard time seeing God, I don't see God. Where's he at? Where, where's God working at in my life? I don't see God working in my life today. Where's God at? He didn't answer that prayer. I don't know where the Lord is. I don't see him anymore. Or I haven't seen him at all. What's the problem? Dirt. Uncleanness. If you haven't seen God, examine your heart to see if there's any wicked way in you. Because the reason you're not seeing God is answered in this verse. It's only the pure in heart. The pure in heart. Not perfect in heart, the clean in heart. That means you're going to confess sin, you're going to make things right with the Lord, and then you'll start to see the Lord. Then you'll start to see him. Lust, envy, resentment, resentment jealousy, pride, strife, bad attitudes, all of these things will cloud our vision of the Lord. We won't see him. If it's been a while since you've seen the Lord, examine your heart. Confess that to him today, and you can leave this place knowing that I can see God today. I can see him today. Next are the peacemakers in verse 9. I like the phrase peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Sons and daughters of God, children of God, because of the peacemaker. A peacemaking attitude. I wrote this down as if it was a quote. Uh, it's just something that, as I was studying it, 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 it came to mind. A peacemaking attitude not only wins friends and influences people, it lets people know you're a child of God. They shall be known as the children of God. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? We need more peacemakers in this world today. In John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Any relationship of a loving relationship like this, there has to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker? Other people will know you're a Christian if you're able to, by God's grace, demonstrate, show uh, uh, peacefulness about you towards other people and making peace among other people as well. So blessed are the peacemakers. And then the last one, number eight, is in verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is, there's that is again, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Uh, persecution is going to happen. If you love Jesus, persecution will happen. Here's what, what God will give to you. He'll give you confirmation that you're a child of God, that you're a member of heaven, and he will also uh, give you that assurance and that encouragement through the persecution that you may be facing. Here's an image of a pregnancy center. Pregnancy centers value life. They, they value 
life in a Bible way from birth to natural death, uh, or from conception to natural death even, a pregnancy center would say uh, life is valuable because God says life is valuable. That's what a pregnancy center believes. And um, look at all that stuff there. What's it, what's it say? You can, you can barely see this. Uh, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. And by the way, if you ever see this little symbol here, that's the anarchy symbol. Anarchy. People wanting anarchy, you know, causing chaos and problems, and it's a, it's a satanic way of thinking about life. And so these people are being persecuted because they have a Bible persuasion about conception to natural death being valuable to God and valuable to humans. And so things like this will increase. You know, we're still waiting for this Roe versus Wade turned down. Things like this is going to continue to increase. Our world's going to wax worse and worse. Whatever freedoms you've enjoyed, it's going to be uh, really challenged. Whatever Christianity you've been living, it's going to be challenged in the days ahead. It's already been challenged, and around the world, we still enjoy a great level of freedom compared to most places on earth. This attitude is affected by circumstances. When it says persecution, blessed are you when you're persecuted, there's an attitude that this person has, but it's being affected by the outside. Now, I believe this would be the attitude, I'm a blessed child of God, living right and living for Jesus, and if you have that attitude, you're going to be persecuted. If you stand for Jesus, and if you stand for righteousness, that's going to be called down and condemned and criticized and full-blown persecution for some. Notice in 1 Peter 4, verse 14, Peter echoes what Jesus says. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. It's that same word for blessed. Blessed are ye, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. When you are persecuted for righteousness or for the sake of Jesus, you are glorifying God, no matter what they say about your faith or about Jesus or about your following of God or about your Bible or about your church or about your love for Jesus, you're glorifying the Lord. And they may be persecuting you because of your love for Christ or because of your love for what is righteous. Because, you know, the Christian makes people feel guilty and it's really the Holy Spirit in you that's convicting and challenging people for their sin and their wrong and the things that they're choosing. So what's the persecution cause? What's the cause of it? It's for righteousness and for the sake of Jesus. But here's the blessing that Jesus gives. So when you're being persecuted, it's not like, oh, man, I can't, I can't wait. You know, these people are trying to kill me now. This is awesome. That's not, that's not how we should come across with this. <laughs> They're really throwing rocks at me now, you know. Okay, that'd be a foolish way to think of this. We're not looking forward to it like this, but here's what it does. Here's how God blesses. It's confirmation in verse 10. It's confirmation that you're part. Because notice the phrase here, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So basically this, if you're living righteously and you are loving the Lord Jesus Christ and you're being persecuted for it, you just know, you can know, no doubt about it. My sins are forgiven. My name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. I'm a forgiven child of God. Have no doubt if you're persecuted. It's like a proof. It's like an evidence. Now, I wouldn't go looking for persecution because persecution will come looking for you. 
You don't have to be dumb about it. Some people go out looking for problems, and, and uh, they really make a poor image of, of Christ and of Christianity. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be, I would say, an idiot about this. Some people are. They, they look for fights everywhere they go. You don't have to do that. It'll come to you. If you're really living righteously, and if you are really living for Christ and showing that love, people will come after you. That's what he's saying here. So confirmation, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. And number two would be anticipation of rewards in heaven. In verse 12, rejoice. All right, wait a minute. I'm being persecuted. I'm not looking forward to that, but it's happening right now. I know that I'm a Christian and I'm looking forward to something. He said, I'm going to be exceeding glad here because great is your reward in heaven. In fact, you get to be part of a great company of people who've gone before us. He says the prophets who love Christ and love the Lord to the end. And so you get anticipation of rewards in heaven as well. Have you ever been tempted to complain about it seems like God's not rewarding me today? Have you ever had this come across your mind? I can't believe this happened to me. I deserve better. Can you believe I'm not getting any blessings from the Lord here? I mean, what's the deal? This guy over here is getting blessing. He's cursing God. He's mocking the Lord. He's making a, a mockery of, of all things holy and righteous. And I'm over here struggling to get by. How does that happen? Have you ever had that happen to you? You think like, you think like that? Well, I want some blessing now. Well, verses 10, it's the eighth blessing here. Verse 10, 11, and 12 has a future tense to it as well. Great is your reward it's future tense. It's in heaven. We're not there yet. So you may not experience material blessing or some really awesome things happening to you and, and uh, just incredible things, but God knows. He keeps track, and he will reward you in heaven. So keep living righteously. Keep loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep on keeping on in your Christian faith, in your walk with the Lord. And let's rejoice. When bad things happen because of persecution, go ahead and rejoice with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, Paul said it this way, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So no matter what reward it may appear that wicked people receive on earth, it's like, man, they're doing wrong, but they're, they're being blessed. It's an imitation. They're not being blessed by God for their wrong. Just always remember that. But notice that word weight of glory there. There's something more valuable, more worthwhile, and of greater gravity that God has for you in heaven than any of the shiny stuff that his, is here on this earth. And so great is your reward in heaven. It's a light affliction, but sometimes it's really hard, isn't it? You've had some persecution, perhaps, some difficulty because of your faith. It may not seem light in the moment, but in the greatest scheme of things, it looks like a light thing when you consider the weight of glory that he'll reveal to us when we get to heaven. Esther Kerr Rousseau wrote these words in 1941. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. 
I hope that you love these Beatitudes as well and can apply some of these to your life today. God blesses these attitudes. These are frames of mind that we need to live our lives with. Let's respond to this now in this response time. Let's take some time to visit with the Lord. I'll go ahead and lead us in prayer in just a moment. I have three questions for you. The first one is this. Maybe you would say this, by God's grace, I will have these beatitudes in my life. By God's grace, I want to see these inner attitudes, and no matter what persecution may happen, uh, these inner attitudes, may, may God help me to have these beatitudes in my life. Anyone like that? That's my prayer today. Many hands. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question then, with God's help, I will stand with Jesus, and I will stand in his righteousness even when or if or when persecution comes. I want to stand with Jesus and stand with righteousness by God's grace. Anybody like that? Yes, that's a good prayer. Let's ask the Lord for that. Give us the boldness and the power to stand with Christ. Maybe there's a friend right now that would like to trust Jesus for salvation. Is there anyone here that would say, I'd like to know more about salvation, to know for certain my sins are forgiven. Anyone like that, just raise your hand and I'll pray with you. And maybe I'll talk with you afterwards if you like. Anybody, I want to know more about salvation. All right, let's take a moment and pray then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sermon on the Mount and this powerful message that you gave of these attitudes, these be attitudes that we can have to be and to live as you would have us to, these inner qualities that we can possess by your grace. We pray that as we go throughout this week and this day that we would have these attitudes and no matter what happens, that we would continue with these attitudes. And Lord, when persecution comes, when circumstances arise around us and like a fire or a storm, let us continue to stand with your righteousness and to continue to love Christ, come what may and no matter what happens. Give great boldness and encouragement to each one here today. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your work here in this church and in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our service here today. We do have a Kids Life meeting, so that'll start in five minutes, just straight through those double doors in the Kids Life room. Uh, parents, if you would, pick up your kids very soon so that we can start using that room for that meeting as well. And so thanks so much. God bless you. Have a great day.